You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Please uh, get your Bible and open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll be looking at verse 19 to 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 today. If you don't have a Bible with you, please get the one in front of you in the pew. You don't want to have, you don't want to be without a copy of God's word in this moment. Get it, open it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 to 23. My name is Jason Locke. I'm the director of uh, Youth and Young Adult Ministries here at the church. Pastor Paul is taking some uh, time to be at another Harvest Bible Chapel in Michigan. And we trust that as he preaches there, that that church will be blessed by the ministry of God's word uh, also. Uh, I've noticed something in the time that I've been able to work here um, in Youth and Young Adults Ministry. Uh, one of my favorite things that I get to do is, uh, is baptism. It's fantastic. There are people in this room that have been able uh, to baptize because of your obedience to identify with Jesus Christ. And um, one of the things that we do in baptism here is give the opportunity for you to share uh, your testimony, to show the change that God has in your life. But I've noticed something. Uh, People who have a story like me, they kind of think that is a bad story. And maybe you share this story too. It always starts the same way. I grew up in a Christian home, right? Um, and, and I had good Christian parents. And uh, I, I mean, I went to a Christian school and Christian clubs. And at a young age, I don't know, maybe not exactly, don't know when, but um, I knew I needed Jesus. Um, I didn't do a lot bad, but I knew I needed Jesus. And, and then I, I kept just following Jesus. I wasn't really rebellious. I didn't. Some of us like, are, feel that that's not a good story. And they kind of like, oh, I wish I had that story where I was like in the gutter and in the worst place and harming myself so much, but Jesus rescued me. But then the interesting thing is those people are like, man, I'm so ashamed of that. I wish I had that. Be encouraged by this church. It matters not what God rescued you out of, but what God rescued you into. But also on our walk of faith, we, we've created this ceiling to our discipleship where we believe that the highest level that I can reach as a follower of Jesus Christ is a greater moral character like Jesus Christ. It's about my sanctification. That's the best thing I can offer. That's what it's about to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And, but that's not true. The overflow of a growing relationship with Jesus Christ is that you will be compelled to answer the call to be making more disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the call that God has on everyone who has been given his Holy Spirit. Yes, that you would be transformed from glory to glory, but that you would use the power of the Spirit as it has been given to you, to be a witness. The last thing Jesus said before he ascended into heaven, they asked him, is it kingdom time now? Is the kingdom here? When's the kingdom coming? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times, but you will receive power from on high and you will be my witnesses. The natural extension of my discipleship is making disciples of others. So yeah, you might have guessed it. Today we're talking about evangelism. 
And even some of you, when you hear that word, you shudder like, ooh. Like maybe you've had a bad experience telling someone they've just shut you down or, or maybe you've, you want to, and, but you feel like you don't know enough and that you're not smart enough or trained enough to share the gospel. This is the call on every one of our lives. In 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 to 23, Paul kind of demonstrates like his methodology in a way of how he approaches and does evangelism. And I trust that when we read this, you will see its ability to do it your own self and you will be shown how you can share the gospel with boldness. So knowing that this is where we're going, let's stand in honor of God's word and read uh, the passage at hand. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 to 23. This is God's word. It speaks to us today, and it says, For though I am as free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Let's turn our hearts to God in prayer and ask that the Lord would be our teacher in this time. Lord, thank you that the church can gather together in the name of Jesus. Thank you that we can have fellowship together and and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Thank you, Lord God, that you are close and with us today. God, I would pray that by your Spirit's power, you would instruct us rightly that all the profitability of your word would be known today, that we would feel the rebuke, the instruction, the correction, the training in righteousness, so that we would be the people that you have redeemed us to be who are zealous for good works. God, thank you for the Spirit of Christ that you've given us. Thank you, Father, that you have said um, that we are to be in this world, witnesses to this world. Father, I pray that you would give us a compassion for the world, that in using us, you might save some. Thank you, Father, for this call we have in our lives. Give us the courage to take up the mantle and run with strength, the endurance, the, with endurance the race that is ahead of us. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is going to be really simple today. Sharing the gospel with boldness. Three ways that we will share the gospel with boldness. Number one, write this. I will share the gospel with boldness when I see people for who they are. I will share the gospel with boldness when I see people for who they are. That includes both ourselves as those who are inside the family of faith and those outside of the family of faith. Look at verse 19. Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. So Paul identifies himself in two ways, free yet a servant. And then he identifies these 
others, these them and them, they need to be one. So if we're going to see uh, people who, for who they are, we must first look at ourselves. And the scriptures say that we are free. The scripture says that we are free when we see ourselves through the lens of God's word. We are free, as Paul said, and just a few things. The, we are, the spectrum of our freedom is so wide. But here's a few things to know that we have freedom from. We are free from man-made religious obligation that demands our performance to gain righteousness. I'm free from that. Christ earned my righteousness by his perfection and by faith, he's given it to me. I'm free from man-made obligation that demands my performance. (laughs) Church, you are free from the power of sin. The Lord Jesus said, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. See, we are all born under sin and sin is our master. Before Christ, all that you can do is offer the members of your body to God as instruments of unrighteousness. That's it. You had no choice but to sin and disobey. All of our good works are as filthy rags, the scripture says. But when you are redeemed, you are given the Holy Spirit. And now we are free from the master of sin, to offer ourselves to our new master, Jesus Christ, and our body as instruments of righteousness. We are free from the penalty of sin. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is who we are. In church, we should meditate And rejoice in this day by day. The most important question you will ever ask and answer is who am I? Because who am I always influences the next question, what is my purpose? We are free. But what about them? The one that Paul identifies as being lost. In truth, they need to be one because they are lost, but truly the scripture says that they are condemned. Those who are outside of the family of the faith are lost and are condemned. If you are here today and you've not confessed that you are a sinner that can only offer themselves to sin, if you do not believe you are a sinner and you have not believed that Jesus is the only payment for your sin, then you are still a slave to sin and you're condemned to suffer God's wrath. John 3.16 may be the most quoted verse in scripture, but John 3.17 and 18 seem to be the most avoided verses in scripture. Let's read them together. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, amen, but have eternal life. Verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, has not believed in him, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. 
What is that condemnation? Do you know the depth of the pain and the suffering that the people you pass by every day that are in your family, that are in your workplace, do you know the depth of the pain of their suffering? Listen to this next verse and mourn, mourn. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 to 9. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in a flame of fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of God and the glory of his might. The Bible describes that the punishment of hell is always experiencing every pain of dying, but never knowing the relief that death brings. And we know this, but we look on people who suffer and have no compassion. Jesus told the story of a Jewish man, a Jewish man who was walking on a road one day and came upon robbers, took his stuff, beat him, and left him for dead. And then his fellow countryman came upon the path and approached him. The first, a Jew also, fellow countryman, a priest looked at him, had no compassion, walked on the other side, condemning him to die because he did not help. The second, a Levite, also his countryman, approached him, but looked at him with no compassion, knew and saw the wounds, the beatings, the blood, and walked on the other side. But then a Samaritan walked by, who historically we would have understand, should have considered this Jewish man of a different country in the way that an Israeli might consider a Palestine enemy. But instead, he looked down and with compassion said, you are my neighbor. Picked him up, mended his wounds, brought him to an inn and paid all his expenses. Yet we walk by people every day, do not consider them our neighbors, And though we know they are condemned to suffer the wrath of God, pass by, leaving them in our condemnation when we have the remedy. Would you consider this man your neighbor? This is Bruce Jenner. Bruce Jenner came into attention when he won the 1976 Olympic decathlon, but has just recently made international news headlines regarding his decision to reject reject the male biological and physiological nature God created in him in favor of transitioning to a female biological and physiological nature through surgical procedure, which will only be maintained synthetically through hormone replacement prescription drugs. You're probably never going to pass by this man on the street. But you pass by people all the time who have a radically different lifestyle than you that you know has rejected God's good design for men and God's good design for women. Yet instead of looking them at our neighbors, 
we stand up and look down in criticism towards them. Have no compassion and walk the other way. What about this man? Would you consider this man your neighbor? This next photo is Dan Fredenberg. Dan Fredenberg was a Google executive and seemed to climb every pinnacle of success he could find. Just 10 days ago, an earthquake rocked Nepal and was felt by Dan and the other climbers at Mount Everest. At 33 years old, the man who seemed to have everything passed into eternity and has already stood before the judgment seat of Christ. Have you forgotten that successful people are still sinful people under the wrath of God without Jesus Christ? Yet we look at people with success and have no compassion for them because we envy them. We have treasure in heaven that cannot perish, but we envy the dust that they build up and the wood that will be scorched into nothing. We have no compassion on them because we actually envy them and we're indifferent to their suffering because we just think they're successful people. When we see the lost for who they are, we should be provoked to compassion and motivated to share the gospel with boldness. We are free. Church, you are free. But God, forgive us. God, forgive me for looking at people who were in the same place of me. I was dead in my sin. How dare I stand on something I did not earn and look down at other people who are in the same place as me. Forgive us, God, for envying the treasures that are just turning to dust and having indifference on the, towards the people who are under God's wrath. Lord, give us compassion. Please, Lord, give us compassion. You will share the gospel with boldness when you see the lost is who they are. Do you? Your family your coworkers, your friends. Mourn for them and extend them the remedy that God offers. I'll share the gospel of boldness when I, uh, when I see people as who they are. Next one, write this. I'll share the gospel with boldness when I serve people where they are. I will share the gospel with boldness when I serve people where they are. Paul, he knew he was free. He knew others were lost and in compassion, he was moved to serve them. The way that he describes his evangelism as I made myself a servant to all. And he describes his serving in, uh, as becoming one of them. Verse 20 says, I became as a Jew. He, it, he was in different places with different cu- cultures and different religious backgrounds, but he was able to become as each of them to serve them with the gospel that they might be one to Christ. And you know what? If we are going to share the gospel with boldness, we need to be serving people where they are. And Paul makes this very practical for us today. I believe that there are four things that you can start doing today that will allow you to serve people where they are and by the grace of God, win them to Christ. Write this one down. The first practical way that we can serve the lost, be surrendering. How can I become as one of them? Be surrendering. 
So in the context of this passage, Paul is talking about how he wants nothing of his own life to be an obstacle to anyone for coming to Jesus. Not, he resolved, I will put no obstacle in the way of anyone. He was willing to send, render any of the rights that he had because he knew it could be a stumbling block to some. He was open-handed with the things that he rightly could have been closed-handed about. Maybe you know people in your life and you know they struggle with alcohol, those who do not know Jesus. And, and, and you know that they're uncomfortable and wonder, why are you as a Christian listening to that music? Why are you as a Christian? Why do you dress that way? And you close it like this. And, but then some of you might just say, Jason, you're just being legalistic. Now I got another L word for that. Surrendering your rights, that's being loving. Because you don't want to put anything in the way of Jesus. Isn't it interesting that the palm that is closed can also be a fist to inflict pain? In the same way, the palm that is open can also be a hand that extends invitation. A closed palm is actually a stubborn heart. And a stubborn heart communicates lovelessness. In church, a loveless Christian is a pitiful evangelist. Be surrendering. Write this down. How can, four practical ways we can serve the lost. Be speaking. Be speaking. Twice in this passage, Paul connects his servanthood, his serving with preaching with his actual sharing and speaking the name of Jesus. If we're going to share the gospel with boldness and we're going to be serving people where they are, we must be speaking and we must be speaking Christ crucified, the only hope of glory. It seems simple, but it must be said. We must be speaking. Okay, there's a quote that's going to come up on the screen in just a second. Um, just by raise of hands, who has heard or seen this quote before? You don't need to be ashamed. You can put it up in the air. Yeah, some of you have seen this. Okay. Preach the gospel at all times, and when necessary, use words. Okay, first problem with this is St. Francis of Assisi did not say this. And most people attribute to him, but no, it's, he didn't. None of his biographers say that that is attributed to him. A lot of people call this type of evangelism, friendship evangelism, lifestyle evangelism, relational evangelism. Okay, but here's the attitude behind this thing. I'm just going to massage the lost person. I'm just going to massage you with my good Christian living just to loosen you up to Jesus. Just going to massage you. And maybe as this massage you, you'll feel more comfortable, yeah. And the more comfortable you feel, maybe you'll ask me about Jesus. And maybe, maybe then I'll tell you about him. Yeah, 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 no. This type of evangelism is about effective as trying to watch TV when it's muted and there's no annotations on the screen. So you probably had to deal with this before, you know, when you went to a doctor's office, or the dentist, or maybe you had to go to the ER, and there's a TV, but like all the magazines are taken, and I can't connect to Wi-Fi, and I have no data, and I didn't bring a book, so, <sighs> okay, let's watch another re rerun of Fresh Prince. It's on TV, I might as well. But it, I, 
and it's intriguing as, as you watch it and you're trying to follow and you see something going on, but you can't make ends meet because you can't hear what they're saying. If people are going to understand, they have to hear. How will they go? How will they hear unless there's some, someone preaching, Romans 10 says. We must be speaking, and we must be speaking Christ crucified as the only hope of glory. I get it. We, we can be afraid. I get it. I've been fearful too, and I have let opportunities pass when there was an open door. But don't be afraid that you're not smart enough. That, you don't need to be afraid that you're not smart enough. Listen to the word of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 3 to 5. I was with you in weakness. Does this sound like smart, clever? I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I feel like that. (laughs) And my speech and message were not in plausible words of wisdom. God used a stuttering man like Moses. But in the demonstration of the spirit and in power, the spirit of God and the power of God or in the preaching of Christ crucified that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men or a relationship with man, but that your faith might rest in the power of God. The power isn't in your cleverness or your smarts. It's in simply speaking Christ crucified. Here's a bigger one for us. Most of us are afraid if I tell them about Jesus, but they don't reject me, I'll lose that relationship. I'll lose that relationship with my mom. I'll lose that relationship with my coworker. I've been, I've been building a relationship for so long and they kind of respect the way that I'm living, but I might lose it. This word is for you. 2 Corinthians 2, 15 to 16. For we are the aroma of Christ to God. Hey, Christian, you smell. We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. If you're not willing to be the stench of death to some, you will be the aroma of life to no one. Don't fear. If you love them, they must hear. If I'm going to serve people where they are, I need to be surrendering. I need to be speaking. Write this one down. Be adapting. Be adapting. Paul preached a simple gospel. Christ crucified the only hope of glory. Paul lived a simple life. Follow me as I follow Christ. But he was willing to adapt both the communication of that gospel and aspects of his lifestyle from place to place so that the people he was with could understand in a relatable way. He was willing to adapt so that others could understand in a way that relates to them. I'll give you some examples from Paul's life. All right? So Paul said he was free from all, right? One of the things that he was free from, from the law, or new Christians in the church of Acts that were free from, is that you don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to mark yourself in this way to uh, show that you're one of God's people. The marking is internally. It's by the spirit of God. But remember his associate Timothy that he took with him? Timothy was a half Greek, half Jew, uncircumcised man. But Paul knew 
we're going to the Jews. And you have Jewish heritage. And they won't really listen and accept as well if they look at a Jew and say, you're uncircumcised. So Timothy, as an adult, consented for his flesh to be mutilated so that these could understand in a way that relate to them. Acts 17, beautiful, great passage. Paul shows how we can adapt the same core message. First, he was in Berea, and he spoke to the Jews, reasoning from the scriptures, saying, Jesus is Lord. And they looked at the scriptures, and they believed. Next city he was in was was Athens, the hub of Greek philosophy. But he didn't go say, hey, let me tell you about King David, because I'm like, who's King David? He referenced Greek poets to share that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He adapted so that others could understand in a relatable way. Here are three simple ways that I believe that you can start adapting your own self today so that others can understand the gospel in a relatable way. Here, write this down. Uh, If you want to adapt yourself, lead with honesty, okay? You're in a relationship, you meet someone new. It shouldn't be a scavenger hunt for them to find out that you're a Christian. You just be honest right at the front. You don't need to force it down to them. Hey, I'm a Christian. You better listen to what I say. You just lead with honesty. And when you talk about certain things, you're going to say, well, you know what? I'll tell you what I believe because my faith influences my worldview. Just lead with honesty. It's better than back-ending it and then you look like a hypocrite. Just lead with honesty. Second, listen attentively. Proverbs 20 verse 5 says, the purposes in a man's heart is like a deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. We don't need to shove things down their throat. Listen, and they will speak from themselves how we can address the gospel. Just listen attentively. Just listen. The amazing thing is that our transcendent God has revealed himself in such relatable ways to show us who he is. God has revealed himself through parenting. God has revealed himself through marriage. The the scripture uses applications of sports. There are many things that you can do. This third thing, look for on-ramps to share the gospel. Lead with honesty, listen attentively, look for on-ramps. As they share what matters to them, you can show how the gospel applies in a relatable way. Be adapting. But here's this fourth thing then, be uncompromising. Be uncompromising. Unfortunately, many Christians use 9.22, I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some, to justify that we can make any lifestyle adaptation at all, regardless of God's word, as long as I'm winning people. Hey, I can go drink as much as I want as long as I might say Jesus once. I can go watch whatever I want as much as I say. I'm becoming all things to all people. I don't think that's the case. I think this passage shows that we can adapt, but also that there is a limit to our adapting. And here's that limit. We have every freedom to make any lifestyle adaptation that does not cause us to compromise our holiness. 
And we're going to see this limit through uh, the way that Paul describes his relationship to the law. Do you notice throughout 20 to 22, at first he says, um, I'm not under the law, but then he says, I'm not outside the law, but then he says, um, I'm actually under the law of Christ. I think this relationship to the law will, will show us that the, what this limit is. So first, if we're going to get this, we need to understand what the law is. Well, in the most broad sense, the law is uh, the first five books of the Bible. God's revelation to Israel through Moses. In the broadest sense, the first five books of the Bible. In a more narrow sense, uh, the law is all the commandments within those five books. And they can be really put into three categories. Okay, And we can understand these by how Christ has fulfilled the law. First is the ceremonial law, okay? So follow me here. You're going to learn something, all right? The ceremonial law governs the practices of any person who desired to worship the Lord. These are the laws that you see. It's like, why does it say I can't wear unblended clothing? Or, or why, why can I only eat these certain things? Or here's how you're supposed to make a certain sacrifice. But we know that the book of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is the final sacrifice for our sins. And my access to God isn't through uh, faithfulness to the ceremonial law, but it's through Jesus Christ himself. The second category of the commandments in the law is the judicial law. Right? The judicial law governed Israel as a nation. They were slaves in Egypt, they went to the promised land, they became a nation, they needed, they needed to know how to run things. So there's laws about royalty and how they should act. There's laws for geographical boundaries. There's, there's laws about agriculture. But, but we know that through faith in Jesus Christ, God's people are not just one nation anymore, but all nations. So, so there's not a lot of bearing really in our lives for the judicial law because God's people are not just one nation but all nations from all places and all tribes in all the world. So I think the relationship that Paul is talking about here when he talks about under, not outside, but under the law is about this third category and that's the moral law. And I have two people that are coming up that are going to help us understand our relationship uh, to the moral law. So this is my wife, Jannie, and this is Amanda. She's a very faithful youth leader. So Amanda coming up has this beautiful yellow hula hoop around her. This Consider this as the moral law. And Paul says that um, he is not under the moral law, but we know from Scripture that all people are born under the requirements of the moral law. Simply understood the Ten Commandments, Okay. Amanda, if you stay inside this moral law hula hoop, you're going to gain your own righteousness, okay? You can get that. We know the Ten Commandments, right? They're not just abstract rules. Uh, the interesting thing about the Ten Commandments is that these are actually a reflection of God's holy character. It's a reflection of God's holy character. So, so if she could stay in this, she could gain her own righteousness. But what if, Amanda, what if you knew something that was false and you were going to lie and the lying is over there and she stepped outside of the moral law. The requirements of the moral law demands her to get back inside of the law to, if she's going to gain her own righteousness. But really all the, all the law can show is you can't keep it. 
That's all the law can show us. But when Jesus Christ came to earth, he lived a perfect life and fulfilled all of the requirements of the law himself. So when Amanda put her trust in Jesus Christ, she was forgiven of every transgression from stepping outside of the law and transgressing it. And she was giving Jesus perfect righteousness. And Galatians 5.18 says, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. That's what Paul said, he's not under the law. So unfortunately, Jannie, thank you. That's not yours anymore. You can have a seat. Those who are led by the spirit, not under the law, there is no longer a demand to perform to gain my righteousness. Not under, but Paul says, I'm not outside. What, Amanda, you think now you can just drop it and walk wherever you want because you're in Jesus? Woo, grace, I can do whatever I want, right? Now, Paul says, I'm not outside of the law. Shall we continue sinning? By no means. Paul said he's not outside of this. Why? Because remember, the moral law is a reflection of God's holy character. Old Testament, New Testament, the scripture says, be holy for I am holy. So Amanda, what, what motivates you to stay inside this? You're not working for righteousness anymore. Well, it's because of the third thing that Paul says. I'm not outside of the law. I'm under the law of Christ. The motivation to stay inside a life of holy living is the law of Christ, which is the law of love. Thanks, you can never see. Galate, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 says, Jesus saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Galatians 6, 2, bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Our motivation to continue to live a life of holiness is not because I am bound to perform to gain righteousness, but because of love. Because of love, I will walk with my Lord. Because of love, I will serve my neighbor and not transgress. We're motivated by love. But church, Though we have every freedom to make any lifestyle adaptation that does not cause us to compromise our holiness, so many of us have our motivations misdirected. We think that we're becoming all things to all people, but we're stepping way outside of the bounds of holiness to try to win the lost, but you don't realize because your motivation is misdirected, you've compromised what matters most. And that's your walk with Jesus. If you're walking outside with no degree of repentance, your motivation is misdirected and you've compromised what matters most. It's kind of like the, uh, the workaholic father who claims his motivation is in the right place. He, he, he works hard and though he's away from home a lot, he, he's never cheated on his wife no matter how many business trips or endless seven-day work weeks, never cheat. He loves his kids. He's got dozens of pictures on his desk, and every time someone comes in, he'd look at these, my kids. And he just wants to provide. I just want to But in the process, he's absent from home. 
his motivation is misdirected, and he's compromised what matters most. We have every freedom to make any lifestyle adaptation that does not cause us to compromise our holiness because our walk with Jesus matters most. Do you value that? Are you compromising? Maybe, maybe you, you, you're, you're, you think that you've made steps that you know take you outside of a vibrant walk with Jesus and walking with holiness, but you're not sure. Well, ask yourself these three questions, okay? Am I compromising? Ask yourself this. Number one, does the way I'm adapting directly disobey the word of God? Does the way I'm adapting directly disobey the word of God? Number two, am I becoming more worldly-minded than the people I'm influencing are becoming spiritually minded. If that's the case, you, you may be compromising what matters most. Third question. As I make adaptions, is my love for Jesus and the lost growing or shrinking? We have every freedom to make any lifestyle adaption that does not cause us to compromise our holiness because our walk with Jesus matters most. Church, my heart is burdened for my peers. My heart is burdened for my peers that are single and want to be married. But they are in serious relationships or even engaged to those who are lost and do not know the Lord. If we were to look at a picture or see this framed picture of a a beautiful marriage, what would it look like? Maybe like most young girls think, and they see an old couple holding hands at a coffee shop. Oh my gosh, it's so adorable. Is that the most beautiful picture of marriage? Fidelity to... All right, you're going to be tempted to laugh, but this is a beautiful picture of marriage. In marriage, you are yoking yourself to another human being for the purpose of fulfilling eternal kingdom work. But daughter of of the Lord, son of the king, you do not realize that in desiring to marry that person, as much as I know you love them, you are yoking yourself to a blind and crippled ox. And you think you're the one to save them, but really what you're handing your heart over to is a cheese grater that will shred you for the years of your life. My heart is burdened for the parents in our church. Your kid's growing up, and and you may not have the same relationship with them when they were like eight or nine or ten. They're like a teen now, and oh man, they got their own will and doing their own thing. I I don't have kids, but... I'm old enough and mature enough and now that I'm married, I can look back to know, man, I gave my parents a ride when I was younger. Don't because of a few contentious arguments that make you think you're losing your little guy or losing your little girl, make you compromise on what matters most. Don't compromise on your child's happiness and lose the participation you should be having in church. Don't compromise on their happiness and mitigate their participation at church or youth ministry. 
Don't compromise the place of God's word in your home with honor because you want your kid to be happy and like you. My heart is burdened for the students and the employees who wants to be an influence to their peers. And whenever a conversation with that same group happens again, you know they're gonna start telling those jokes that you were nowhere wrong, but rather than letting your speech be seasoned with salt, you now spit the venom of snakes along with everybody else. Do not compromise what matters most. We have every freedom to make any adaption, but do not compromise what matters most. Last thing, write this. I will share the gospel with boldness when I share in the blessings of the gospel. Paul knew that he was free. He had compassion and served the lost because he longed to share in its blessings with them. Look at verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Amen. Do you share in the blessings of the gospel? I ain't talking about the cognitive, like, yeah, I know Jesus saved me. Has your heart been gripped? And does, is the consuming passion of your desire and joy motivated by seeking Jesus? That I step outside of this holiness day by day, but I rejoice and have confidence because it is grace that holds me in his righteousness and does not abandon me to earn my salvation again. There is such confidence day by day when I meditate on that. There is joy, church, young person who is seeking joy in the most vain things. There is an overflowing spring of water when we do as Jesus said and walk and keep his commandments because he said, I say these things to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Turn off the video games. Get off the vanity of your computer and seek the overflowing spring of life. It will give you such joy. Seek the presence of God. Approach his throne. It will fill your tank like you never thought you could. Church, we share most what we enjoy most. You know this from experience. Maybe you're, uh, maybe you're a new parent or you're a new grandparent or maybe you know these new parents and new grandparents and all of a sudden, their reflexes are like as fast as like a Western gunslinger. And as soon as a new person comes in the room, look at my kids. Look at these photo albums of dozens of pictures of my kids. We share in most what we enjoy most. Some of you are still in mourning because the raptors got swept. (laughs) Or some of you won't stop complaining for weeks how someone lost a boxing match last night. Or some of you saw a blockbuster superhero this, uh, movie this weekend, or you will tonight, or you will tomorrow, and it's the only thing you're going to talk about for the longest time. We share most what we enjoy most. Church, there is no greater joy than sharing in the blessings of the gospel. Taste and see that the Lord is good, and then look at the lost and say, come, eat richly with me. 
The Lord would have a, rather have one untrained man filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit, sharing in the blessings of the gospel, than a host of tenured PhDs who do not share in the blessings of the gospel to communicate his message. The Lord would ha- rather have one young woman, one woman who has calloused knees in prayer and adorns her beauty internally than a stage of celebrity social activists to spread his cause. The Lord is looking for compassionate men and women who know, know the state of the condemned, yet serve them with open hands and surrender, speaking Christ crucified, the only hope of glory, who adapt so that others can understand, yet who don't compromise what matters most, and who are filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The call has been made. Will you answer it, church? Pick up the mantle and speak Christ crucified. Stand with me as I pray for you. Lord, thank you for the blessings of the gospel. Father, for the years that I wasted looking for joy in the approval of other people, looking in joy in the artifacts of this world, looking for joy in the seen things when it is the unseen that gives me the fullest of my joy. Thank you, Lord God, that you have given us this in Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord, I pray that your church would seek after the joys of the gospel, that it would be their drive, their one passion, their waking love, that every morning we would wake up and say, I will go to the throne of grace before anything else. And God, give us a compassion for the lost, a compassion that will cause us to open our mouths and speak, that will serve, oh God, I think of the people who are lost represented in this room, the names that we're thinking of now that we don't know Jesus. Lord, we have the remedy. God, I would pray from the people in this room, Lord, that we would hear testimonies even before next weekend that these people shared the gospel and that their family and their friends and their coworkers are now sitting at the table with the king and free from condemnation. We have the remedy, Lord. Give us the power. We have the power. Let us walk in this power to share it. And God, turn this city, turn our hearts back to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.